We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. I'm Lily Madwit, and you can keep this. I'm sitting at a desk, like the kind you sit at in school. Oh, I, I am at school. I don't remember going to school. Actually, I don't remember going to bed for that matter. I just remember being home and everything getting bright, very bright. It's bright here in school, too. There's some light coming from outside pouring in like the sun exploded. What if the sun did explode? Maybe I shouldn't have just used Jophiel's gift after all. Maybe I blew up the sun and the earth is hurtling into it. Hello, Lily. It's Mr. Longbow, my elementary school principal. He's standing at the front of the classroom holding an eagle. He's got a weird obsession with eagles. His office is stuffed eagle central. None of them are real, of course, because you're not supposed to kill or stuff eagles. The ones he has in his office, though, are really realistic, though. He also has motivational posters with eagles in them saying stuff about soaring for excellence. Most motivational posters use kittens. I think kittens are easier to relate to than eagles. Kittens don't get caught in plane propellers. Hi, Mr. Longbow. He smiles. I frown. Mr. Longbow never smiles. I don't think his mouth can even curve in that direction. You know, up. And his smile doesn't look creepy, either. I was always sure if he smiled, it would look super creepy. Like there'd be another face inside his mouth. You're not Mr. Longbow, I say. I look around. The other desks are all spotless. Nobody drew or wrote their names on any of them. I feel around under my desk. There's no lumps of chewed gum that have turned to stone. Every desk in my school is chewed gum that has turned into stone on the bottoms. This school looks like mine, but it's too clean. Where am I? This isn't my school. I reach for my backpack out of instinct, but it's not there. No pasture either. He usually tells me the answers to stuff if I'm not sure what the answer is supposed to be. I look around again. A cloud drifts by outside the window. That's, uh... I start to point at the cloud, but it disappears out of sight. Are we flying? Mr. Longbow glances out the window and chuckles. I didn't think I'd ever hear Mr. Longbow laugh, and now I'm going to have to live with the fact that I have. He takes a deep breath, closes his eyes, and then turns and opens them to look at me. Lily, he says. I am the Archangel Megatron. Megatron? Megatron. I'm slightly disappointed. Megatron is a transforming robot who turns into a gun. On the other hand, Megatron is also evil. He steals energy from Earth. Maybe Megatron was named after this angel. Does that mean the other Transformers are named after angels? Archangel Starscream. That actually sounds possible. I don't know all the angels there are. Megatron watches me quietly. I wonder what his gift is. Maybe it's transforming into a gun like Megatron, and maybe that's where they got the idea. 
None of the other robots turn into guns. They have guns on them. I've never understood why Megatron turns into a gun while everybody else turns into cars and trucks and planes and dinosaurs. Of course, an angel turning into a gun would be silly. They didn't have guns back when angels were born, whenever that was. Long before guns, I'm sure. Back when they only had, like, rocks and tree branches to whack each other with. Maybe he transformed into a rock back then. Or a slingshot to throw the rock with. You're still thinking about Megatron, aren't you? He asks with amusement. Maybe, I say, then realize it's stupid to try and lie to an angel. Yes? He smiles in that pleasant way that makes me wish the real Mr. Longbow smiled more. Lily, you are currently asleep. What you are seeing is a creation of your mind, except for my voice. I am the mediator of creation. Do you know what that means? Nope. I'm like the operator on your phone if your phone was a direct line to the heavens. I'm not supposed to play with that phone. I did once when I was four, and I called a nice lady who chatted with me for an hour, even though she spoke a different language and neither of us understood the other. My mom almost had a conniption fit when she saw the telephone bill that month. Still, I can't understand, so I blink at him. In less than a minute, you're going to wake up. I'm here to give you a message. I am sorry. It's okay, I nod. I've had weird dreams before. I once dreamed I was a beaver building a dam out of logs, but then other beavers were building dams out of cement, and a wolf came along and blew my dam down because it was made out of logs, and then the wolf ate me. I didn't even wake up then. I was stuck in the wolf's tummy for several hours before I woke up. What's the message? I asked. That's the message, Lily. Says Metatron. I am sorry. I wake up. I'm lying down. I can feel a pillow behind my head. It's overly soft. It can't be one of ours. My mom only buys pillows that can knock a kid out if you whap one with them. Trust me, I know. Roger confirmed this. I don't know why my mom likes such hard, heavy pillows. The ceiling is covered in those off-white cardboard tiles with all the little pinholes in them that look like a reverse star map. Black dots on coffee-stained white. This must be a hospital. I think all hospitals buy ceiling tiles from the same ceiling tile store. There's like some guy out there churning out off-white ceiling tiles by the hundreds and making a fortune off of it. Can we talk to her? I hear my mom's voice nearby. My vision immediately goes blurry because tears get in my eyes. I've missed her voice. I've missed it so much. I sob. Yes, someone else says. Mommy? My throat hurts trying to talk. I kind of sound like a frog when I say her name. Yes, Lily. Her voice cracks. She's crying too. Can you hear me? We're here, sweetie. We were so worried. We lost you. I can hear her, but I, I don't see her. I try to move my head to look, but there's something holding my neck in place. Twisting my head makes my neck scream in pain. Well, my mouth screams in pain, but it's because of the pain in my neck. There's something tickling the inside of my nose. I can see a tube thing coming up from out of it. Mommy? I cry. Daddy? 
I'm here. She cries back. Daddy and I are both here, Lily. It's okay, baby. I hear somebody just outside the room say, Call Dr. Montgomery. She's awake. Someone takes my hand and squeezes it. I squeeze back and clench my eyes shut, forcing out more tears. I'm not crying because it's expected of me. I'm really just so happy to have my mom back <laughs> that they come out naturally. Lily, it's going to be all right. I hear my dad say. I hear my dad. He sounds sad. He often sounds sad these days, ever since Roger got smashed. We love you, honey. Your mother and I. We won't leave you. Daddy? Is that his hand? Whose hand is holding mine? Can't tell. Whoever it is, they squeeze my hand again. I wish I could look at them. I can't move my head. My mom answers. You need to hold still, baby. You were hurt, but but it's over now. What happened back at the house? The Krispies were there. And the worms. And the dog gave me Jophiel's totem. And then everything exploded in light. I remember the ceiling got vaporized over our heads. And that's it. That's all I remember. That and my dream with Metatron where he said he was sorry. The doctor is coming. Someone else says. They sound familiar, but I, I can't place it. I can't think at all. There's this high-pitched whistling in my ears that keeps cutting everything else out. We need to go for now. Can we see her again? My mom asks. Soon? We'll see what can be done. I feel the hand pull away from mine. I reach for it, trying to grab it and pull her to me and never let go. But she's gone. Something stings in my arm. I realize there's one of those needles in it connected to a plastic bag full of some sort of juice or fluid or something. It's probably medicine. They always connect people to bags of medicine in the hospital, and then they take it everywhere with them. I pull back and feel something digging into my armpit. It's uncomfortable, so I grope around with my other hand and pull it away. I recognize the hard plastic and soft felt. It's Pasher. Pasher? I mumble. I feel groggy, sleepy. So I close my eyes and wonder if I'll see Metatron again. Lily, he says softly. Have I told you how strong you are? Mm, maybe. Tell me again. You're the strongest person I've ever known. As strong as Wonder Woman? Stronger. I hug him against my chest. That's pretty strong. We lay there quietly together for a bit. I can hear a monitor or something going blip, blip every now and then. And there's people walking by outside in the hallway talking about things. I can't see any of this, though. Just those boring ceiling tiles. Finally, I ask, Pasher, what happened to you? Well, he says, and then pauses. That means he's trying to choose exactly what to tell me and what not to tell me. This bothers me because it means there's stuff he doesn't want me to know. Without going into too much detail, you will no longer have to worry about Samuel. He has been dealt with. Dealt with? Does that mean he's dead? Can angels even die? 
No, Samuel was dead. Pasher would just tell me. He doesn't avoid stuff like that. If he's not explaining what dealt with means, it probably means some sort of secret angel torture or something that I'm not supposed to know about. Maybe he's in H-E double hockey sticks. They never liked talking about that place. And the veil? I ask. Is the veil repaired? I don't want any more nasties getting out like snap and pop. The veil is whole again, Pasher says. There's a hint of sadness in his voice. Duma has taken over as regent. Unlike Samuel before him, Duma volunteered. From now on, he will be the warden of the Pantheons. Already, another angel by the name of Habib has taken his place as a watcher. Wow, that's... I can't think straight. That's a big change. This isn't the first time one's duties have been reassigned. Over the millennia, we've made many such changes, trying to find the perfect setup, building and rebuilding the design. But Duma was a powerful ally, and his presence will be missed. Okay. If you say so. I saw Duma's face. It was like Skeletor. I don't even want to see it again. And he sings weird songs. And he's bossy. Jeez, he's probably going to love it in the Vale, bossing people around all the time. Will you ever see him again? There's a long silence. I think there's a machine beeping somewhere, but it's so faint it sounds like a baby bird cheeping. Cheep, cheep, cheep. Yes, Hasher finally says. That's it. Just, yes. Like that's all there is to say. He doesn't need to say the rest. I understand. You'll see him again, but it'll be a long time from now. I probably won't even be around when it happens. Just a story someone tells someone else. Like one of Aesop's fables, a Lily Madwip fable. Let me tell you the story of Lily Madwip, and the moral will probably be, learn to knife fight because you never know when you're gonna need it. I'm just glad it's over, I whisper. Pasher's quiet. I hug him and go back to sleep. I dream again, only this time I see my parents. We're on a beach like the one Meredith and I landed on, except instead of being bordered by tall grass, there's nothing but huge cliffs that reach up to the sky. The sun is setting and the ocean seems to be churning slightly. Mom and Dad run up to me and we have a group hug. I'm so happy. They're warm. I don't let go. The ocean keeps getting angry and the sky darkens. The wind is howling. It sounds like a mob of angry villagers in a Frankenstein movie. Mom and Dad turn away to look at something down the beach. When they turn back to me, they look frightened. Run, Lily. My mom says, pulling me to my feet. I look past her. There are strange-looking people coming down the beach. They move slowly and their arms are reaching out toward us like zombies. As they get closer, I, I realize they look strange because they seem to be made completely out of wet sand. Their clothes, their hair, their skin, it's all the same dark, crusty color. Their faces are expressionless. You can barely make out any features. We run. I don't know what these things want with us. I just know that I don't want them touching me with their wet, sandy hands. I feel like if they grab me, they'll smother me and bury me in a pile of sand people. But as hard as I try to run... We don't seem to be getting ourselves anywhere. 
Mom and Dad look like they're moving sluggishly. Even Mom's hair blows in the wind like it's in slow motion. The creatures get closer. They keep coming, more of them behind the others. They move normal, we move slow. They gain on us as the dusk turns into night and the ocean roars with glee. My dad is the first to be reached. A sand monster grabs his wrist and he looks back. His eyes do pinwheels in their sockets and he turns to us, mouth open as if he's about to speak, but instead nothing comes out. His body just slowly turns into the same sandy color, all features disappearing from his face save the bump of his nose and the hole of his mouth. He becomes one of them and joins them in the chase for me and Mom. I scream. Mom screams too. Don't look back, Lily. Run. You can make it. Make it where? There's nowhere to go. This stupid beach is endless. I look back despite Mom's words. She's gone. Where she was is just another monster, wearing a sand-textured business suit like she had been wearing when I saw her last. He reaches out towards me, fingers wiggling, gaping mouth hanging open, and I hear my mom screaming my name like she's five rooms away, but it's coming out of this monster. Mommy! I shout, waking myself up again. There's a blonde-haired lady's face in front of me. She's got on red lipstick, and there's a big mole. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On her cheek. Her hair is up in a bun. I almost shriek at the sight of her because she's so close I can feel her breath on me and my brain is still thinking about the face of my mom as a sand monster and superimposes it over this lady's. Hello? I say after a moment. I try to sink into the hospital bed, but I can't. I'm stuck this close to her. Her breath smells like winto green lifesavers. I have a nose for lifesaver flavors and this is definitely winto green. She smiles at me. Good afternoon, dear. Do you know where you are? I'm in the hospital. Please back up, Miss Nurse. You're invading my personal bubble. That's right, she says. Do you know why you're here? Do you remember anything? Well, actually, I do remember a lot of things. So I tell her about the power of Jophiel combined with the power of Nathaniel and Pasher and how it vaporized part of the house. But then I realize I should explain why I was using the power, so I tell her about the Krispies, Pop and Snap, and how they were probably going to kill everybody. But then I realize I should probably explain where they came from, so I explain the tear in the veil and falling out of it onto the beach. But then I realize I should explain the veil and what it is and why I was in it to begin with, so I start to explain Hecate. She listens for the whole thing just giving me big eyes every now and then, nodding along and doing that, looking off to other things to try to hide the fact that she's slowly becoming convinced that I belong in Sunnyvale Sanitarium. Eventually, she stops me with a sharp ahem. She's not smiling anymore. She turns to someone else in the room. She might be suffering from shock, or it could be the concussion. She looks back at me and gives me a fake grin. Or you've got a wonderful imagination. 
Don't patronize me, lady. I've killed people. Does she need the neck brace? The other someone asks. It's a man's voice. He sounds like he smokes lots of cigarettes. He's got a raspy kind of voice like he gargles rocks or someone ran over his throat with a bicycle. We can sit her up in a wheelchair, but Dr. McDaniels wants to keep her neck in place. The nurse tells him, We need to evaluate her before removing the brace. Fine. I hold my arms up and the blonde lady helps me slowly into a sitting position. It's tough because my neck is so stiff with this thing holding it in place. There go the off-white ceiling tiles. Bye-bye, tiles. I can now see the rest of the room I'm in. It's much smaller than I thought it was. There's machines around me with lots of buttons and knobs. There's a window, too, but the curtains are drawn in and I can't see outside. A small fold-out table is in the corner and there's a man in a brown jacket sitting at it. Hello, Mr. Man in a brown jacket. His chin has one of those clefts in it and sticks out past his nose. He's got hard eyes and slightly big ears. He looks like a detective. Detective Andrew Guthrie. I know who he is because it's part of Pasher's gifts being able to tell things about other people. Nurse Smiley Blonde Lady helps me into a wheelchair. I try to push it but can't because I'm not strong enough. I wish I had remote controls. That'd be cool. I could zoom around in my motorized wheelchair. The blonde nurse, whose name is Mary, wheels over to Detective Guthrie at the table. He's got some sort of folder and papers out, but he shuffles them and tucks them away. Nurse Mary walks out of the room, shutting the door behind her. Hello, Lillian. He starts. My name is Detective Guthrie. He stops and looks at me like he forgot how to blink. His bushy eyebrows slowly drift up like they're attached to balloons. How did you know that? He asks. I know things. Like what? So I tell him that his first name is Andrew and that he's married to Joanne who he met in college and they have a son named Bartholomew who just turned 13. And then I tell him his middle name is the same as Pasher's brother, Michael, and that he should quit smoking because he's going to die of lung cancer. As I tell him this, he just stares at me and his bushy eyebrows crawl higher and higher up his forehead. Can I see my mom and dad now? I ask when I'm done. Detective Guthrie sits there silently. These sort of things can be hard for some people to hear. He reminds me of a Styanax when the worms were about to pop up out of his head. Eventually, he shakes like he has to reboot his brain, blinks several times, and then pats the stack of papers. You are interesting, little girl, he says. Where did you pick all that up? Have you memorized the phone book? I hold up Pasher. Pasher tells me. He reaches out. May I see, Pascal? I pull Pasher back. Pasher, I correct him. And no, you may not. You wouldn't be able to hear him anyway. Only I can. Well, me and maybe two others. And his gift can only be used by someone special like me. Detective Guthrie leans forward and puts his hands on his lap. What is his gift? We see things before they happen. Really? He nods slowly. He doesn't say it like a question, more like a thought. Like fortune-telling? And what about that other one I heard you mention just a moment ago? Jovial. What does he do? Does he burn things? No, that's Nathaniel. 
He pulls a pen out of his jacket, clicks it, and starts writing down on a pad. Nathaniel. Jophiel judges people. He's writing really furiously. Not angry, but fast. I look at it, but it's upside down and just looks like scribbles. I can't make heads or tails of it. He holds a finger up at me with his free hand like just a minute and keeps writing for a good five minutes. He should have held up five fingers. You said you used Jovial and Nathaniel at your home. Against the intruders. He keeps looking down at his notepad as he talks, then finally looks up. Was one of the intruders Felix Clay? Felix Clay? No, it was the Crispies, the Dullahan, and a Styanax. I haven't seen the weasel-faced Mr. Felix Clay since last year when he tried to kill me. I don't mention that I did actually see him when I was in the Vale. That was an imaginary version of Felix, and it might confuse him if I bring it up. He didn't abduct you? He pauses, mouthing something to himself, and then looks up. How do you spell those? Astyanax? Dulahams? I don't know, I admit. When can I see my mom and dad? Lily? Hasher suddenly interrupts. Listen. Detective Guthrie clears his throat and adjusts his red tie. He doesn't look up from his notes. I think you'll need to talk to the doctor after we finish. Shouldn't they be here? I ask. Why is a detective questioning me without my parents present? And that's when I realize why Metatron's message was, I am sorry. That's when I realize why I could hear and feel my parents, but never saw them. I can feel it in my heart, which just skipped a beat, and in my face, which feels puffy, and my nose that feels runny. It's like my body knows what Pasher wants to tell me before my brain does. Or maybe my brain knew and it just ignored. That's why my hands are shaking before Pasher says anything. That's why the room just got darker. My mom? I ask. Detective Guthrie looks down like he's contemplating climbing into his notepad. You are so strong, Pasher says. The strongest person I've ever known. That's all he says. Because he knows I know the truth. I think he's scared to say it. After everything I've been through, all I wanted was to see my parents. My... Dad? Detective Guthrie keeps hiding his face in his papers. But I can see that it's red. He seems to be fighting with himself, with his brain, trying to decide how to say what I've already realized. But... But they, they were right there. My eyes start watering up. They were there in the house. I was home and, and they were there. I never got to see them. Please let me see them. I'm sorry, Lily. Asher whispers. Detective Guthrie reaches across the table and takes my hand. I don't pull away. Feeling reminds me of my mom's hand holding mine as I lay in the hospital bed. Why is it so hard to breathe? It's like the air is soup. I can't inhale soup. 
It's hurting my lungs, so I breathe harder because I think I'm going to suffocate. Lillian, your parents. Guthrie, Guthrie doesn't finish. Why? I scream. He thinks I'm screaming at him, but I'm not. I'm screaming at Pasher. I'm screaming at all the angels who told me what to do, and I did it, and they never warned me what would happen. But especially Pasher, because he knew. He had to know. Knowing what will happen is what he does. He knew this. He had to know this. Pasher doesn't answer me. Guthrie stands up and moves around the table, dropping to his knees and hugging me. I don't think he's entirely comfortable with it. In his eyes, I'm a conundrum. That means a mystery, not an actual drum. I know about drums. I was going to be a drummer when I grew up. Now I don't know what I'm going to be. An orphan. I'm going to be an orphan. Now and forever. I know Guthrie's trying to be comforting, but it's not working because I'm too busy visualizing everything from that night in my head. I'm sorry, he says. I'm so sorry. They were upstairs. I could have run up the stairs and seen them. I could have untied them and together we'd have climbed out the upstairs bathroom window onto the front porch roof. Yes, that's what we did. I, I, I didn't talk to a Steinax. I didn't waste time discussing angels with him. I let him destroy that stupid toy. I didn't stand there and watch the Krispies bust their way in. I just ran up and hugged my mom and dad. We hugged and I got kisses from both of them and then we escaped and none of this is happening. I'm still in the veil. This is a trick. Hecate's playing a trick on me again. This is all a trick. Detective Guthrie keeps holding me. Listen, Lillian, they're saying it's a miracle you survived. He says, We need you to help us piece together what happened. But it can wait. He touches my chin, lifting it up so I'll look him in the eyes, and his face is a big blur because I'm busy crying silently. This is a miracle, you know that? You sitting here with little more than cuts and bruises. I saw what was left of your home and whatever hit it. Look, you may think this is the end, but it's not. You're still here. By the grace of God, you are still here. It wasn't the grace of anybody. I survived because the judgment of heaven couldn't harm me. Not while I was the one wielding it. Like Nathaniel's gift of fire, you can't be harmed by... Meredith? I squeak. Lily. Lily. Pasher finally speaks again. Meredith is with her family. She's happy. Not Meredith. Please, not Meredith. (laughs) Detective Guthrie stumbles back into his seat. I wonder if he's as awkward at hugging his son as he is at hugging little girls who lost their entire family. He fidgets with his papers in his folder, repeatedly adjusting his tie and wiping at his forehead. There we have... There were seven. He stops for a moment. Seven others found with you. Four unidentified men, your mother and father, and Meredith Lake. He flips a page, 
and a dog. Oh god, I killed the dog too. I'm a seven-time murderer as well as an animal killer. I just sit there and hyperventilate while my nose runs and my hands shake and my eyes dry up. I got nothing to live for anymore. My family is all dead. My friend is dead. My house is dead. Hegarty's threat came true. She's torn my world apart. All I have is pasture and... I've changed my mind. I put Pasher on the table between me and Detective Guthrie. You can have this if you want. It's broken anyway. Hey there, kids. It's me, Mr. Creepypasta, and I just wanted to tell you thank you so much for watching tonight's video. Or listening to tonight's podcast on the podcast, if you're listening to that there at Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you can happen to listen to podcasts. I also want to tell you guys, if you look in the description, there's a lot of really cool things that you can always see down there, including uh, links over to two Creepypasta books that I curated that are available now on Amazon. Check those out. The Creepypasta Collection Volume 1 and Volume 2. Great for people that like horror or creepypastas or people who listen to this podcast. And of course, I wanted to give a big thank you to everyone who checks out patreon.com slash mrcreepypasta and supports the show, keeps the light on, gives me treats for my now two cats, both Hylas and Hercules. Both of them are a handful. And especially a big thank you to Hahasaha, Jordan Alexander Sanchez, Mazakin, Ken Lenda Higuchi, Chambinski, Nico Kao, Tristan Pelton, Stephen Van Hus, Chance Burnett, Diana Krause, G. Weevil 3, The Red Oak Shield Virus, Hades Nephew, Carter Barenfanger, Dr. Strawberry, Jordan Wayne Deckard, Bradney Lipe, The Government Monitoring System, Anne Charon, Rumble Fox, Acid System, Mike Bullock, Rafael Rodriguez, Dan Sweet, Mad Marshdomp, Prozac and Pancake Appreciation Society, Sean Mills, Brian Arce, Cryptic Nightmares, Shadow Morningstar, Somber Puppet, Rihanna Wright, Someone You Love, Said the King 56, Bad Honey, S-Man, Kiri the Sloth, Patrick Schoolmeister, Thomas Burgett, Barbara Maceo, Bobby Carmen, Liam Newman, The Homeless Bird 93, Sky Harbor, Caleb Dougal, Last Blade Song, Eliminator 86, The Ginger Bros, Aaron Stormcrow, and Corey X. Kenshin. A big thank you to all of you guys and everybody down there in the description. I really can't thank you guys enough for supporting the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And everybody who listens, sweet dreams. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.